We have the children here with us this morning. It's always fun to have them here. As they uh, know, they fill out some outlines they have, and we have the treasure chest that will be available in the back. We're going to be over in 1 Samuel 23. We're skipping chapter 22. I'm just going to give you a little summary there. Uh, but we're going to look at how honorable people can live amongst those that are of dishonor. How many of you know some dishonorable people in your life? How many know there seems to be a lot more dishonorable people than honorable people? <laughs> so how do you, as an honorable person, a person of the word, live amongst those who not only walk in dishonor, but try and push that dishonor off on other people? So today we're going to look at the life of David some more, because uh, we get so much detail in the life of David, and David was such a man of honor, and he encountered people of honor, and he encountered people of dishonor. And it's great to see the details that we get from him on these uh, on these things. So we're going to begin in 1 Samuel 23. I just want to summarize something for you from 22. One of the things that David did once he saw how the king the king Saul was after him, he knew it would not be long before he went after his family. How many have uh, watched a spy movie recently? Anybody want to admit it? If you, you'll notice that if you watch a spy movie, if they can't get the spy, and you know you can never get the spy to break. The spy, he's not going to break. You can beat him up, you can torture him, you can do all sorts of stuff. The spy is not going to break. How do they get the spy to break? They get somebody in the family. Right? David knows he's going to come after my family to try and get me to come over for that. And so he took his family, his mom and his dad, and he took them over into the land of Moab. And he asked the king, goes right to the king, King, will you take care of my family for me? Watch over them. And the king said he would. And so then he went on off to, to do things. He figured there the king Saul didn't have any jurisdiction and, uh, and those people wouldn't give him up. This is the same family that disrespected him. This is the same family that did not see him as being truthful when he came home and said he killed a lion and he killed a bear. This is the same family that left him out in the sheepfolds when we brought the other sons up to be seen by the prophet. This is the same family that spoke so disrespectfully to David that it was commonplace and his brothers would speak disrespectfully of him as well. But David treated them with honor and made sure that they were taken care of. That's the kind of man that David was. Now, verse 1 of 23, Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Kilah, and they are robbing the threshing floor. Now, I looked up Kilah, because I, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing it right. That's Hebrew. I don't do Hebrew. I don't like Hebrew. I don't enjoy anything about the language. I, I'll look at people, what they have. Greek, I love. Absolutely love Greek. But Hebrew is on the other end of the spectrum. And so I had to look it up. And so I looked it up, and there are five different ways to pronounce this. So I picked one. <laughs> if you find another one, that's fine. I heard Kala, Kela. I'm still sticking with Kila. Kila. So that's what we're going with. And so you know what we're, t- we're talking about. But that's all the same city here. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. 
But David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Kilah against the armies of the Philistines? And David inquired of the Lord once again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Kilah, and I will, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. Now, I pulled up a couple of visuals here for us. I'm going to ask Daryl to pull up our first one. And this is just to give you perspective on what's going on here. So what this is, is here is Kilah, right over here. The battle of Goliath. I remember the battle of David and Goliath. Battle of David and Goliath is right there, Sakath. Right below it is Kelah. Over here, Bethlehem, Jerusalem. Get some perspective. Now, Jerusalem, how many, does, how many people know how big the land of Israel is? How big do you think it is? It's, it's about as big as a nearby state, which is to the east of us and has the best shore in the world. Anybody know what that is? <laughs> it's about the size of New Jersey. <laughs> now, giving you a little geography. Now, I don't care if you all have a different opinion. You can be wrong. That's fine. If if Israel makes the news right now, how many know about the Gaza Strip? All right. If you want perspective on that, guess where the Gaza Strip is is around? It's the land of Philistia. The Philistines were in the were had the Gaza Strip. How many know about the West Bank? The West Bank is not on the west side of Israel. Do you know why? Because the Jordan borders Israel on its east side. When it says West Bank, it's to the west of Jordan, which is East Israel. So you got East on one side, West on the other. But anyway, the, the Philistines, they're over here in this, uh, this area. Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gaza, Gath, Ekron. These are the big Philistine cities. This is the territory that they have. Now, Saul right now has decided that we are going to use the assets of Israel, the army, and we are going to pursue David. So he is chasing all around the countryside to get David. Guess what that means? No one's protecting the borders. Can you imagine what it's like to live in a country where no one protects the borders? I don't know if you can, I don't know if you can imagine that. But can you imagine a country where no one protects the borders as anybody can come in and out and do whatever they want to? Yeah, we may not be able to relate to that, but, you know, maybe maybe we can. Well, that's what's going on over here. No one's protecting the borders because the king is going around with the army inside of Israel trying to get David. And so all the people that are supposed to be protecting the border are doing this. So the Philistines, they just come right on over here and they can knock off some of these cities over here. And so they came over to Kilah and they decided we're going to, we're going to attack it. Now who should be defending Kilah? Saul. What's Saul doing? He's chasing David. So the guy he's chasing sees what's going on and he's a man of honor. And he says they should be defended. We should defend them. And so he wants to. Now David in his previous chapter, he picked up 400 men. Because he went out into the wilderness. In a moment we're going to show you what the wilderness is like in the, in the land of Israel. Uh, but 400 men came to him. And by the time he gets to this battle, he's got 600. 
Now, not 600 choice fighting men. Remember, remember the 600 men that David has? He has all the ones that no one else wanted. He's got all the ones that were in debt. He's got all the ones that couldn't get a job. All the unemployed. All the cast-offs. All the disgruntled. They all came to David. Now, can you imagine how many of you are at work and have some disgruntled people at work? How many have a couple people, couple disgruntled people at work? Yep. Can you imagine if everybody was that way? Everybody at work was like that. That's what David is. Every time David shows up for work, everybody is like that. How many of you are looking forward to going to work? He's got all the disgruntled. And if you go into the chapter before, you'll find out that's how it describes him. All the disgruntled, all the all the uh, upset, all the, the people that... Uh, basically, the people of, who seem to be pursuing a course of dishonor. But David took them on and he said, we're going to pull that honor out of you. And he directed them in a place of honor. Now, not right off the bat. They didn't go because David says, we ought to go and do this. This is an honorable thing to come over to the city and save them from the Philistines. And they said, no, no, we're afraid here. Why do we want to go over there and get involved in another battle? And so David goes back to the Lord and says... Should we do it? And the Lord says, yeah, I'll deliver the Philistines into your hand. So he does. Now, people of honor look at how they can help others. That's what people of honor do. I don't care what you can do for me. It's right that I come over here and help you. And so the people of honor do that. People of dishonor, they only help those that can do something for them. They only help those where there's some gain for them. Verse 5, And David and his men went to Keilah, and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Now he took away the livestock. Guess who got to keep that? David. And the men. They get to keep that. Now they may not have known that going in, but uh, they went and had the battle. Wait, we, we get this stuff? Oh. Let's go find some more battles. Let's go take on some more Philistines. And they get a little bit more excited about going into battle after this. Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David in, in Kelah, Kelah. He went down with an ephod in his hand. Now an ephod, this is how they heard from God. In your spirit you have how you hear from God. And when you go after God, how many have ever pursued God? God, should I do this or God, should I not? And you're looking for that leading, yes or no. That's exactly how it was in the Old Testament, but they had an ephod to do it. It was basically a yes or no answer. You would go before God and if the F5 would say yes or the F5 would say no, you could not ask the F5 an essay question. It had to be a yes or no. Because that's all you're going to get. Yes or no. So David always phrases the questions on the people who use the F5. They phrase the questions, should I go and fight the Philistines? The answer is yes. Will you deliver them into my hand? The answer was yes. He didn't ask the ephod, well, how should we go up against the Philistines? Because you can't answer that yes or no. But this is how they did this. And so the priest, when he came down, he brought an ephod with him. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Now, Saul sees the hand of God where it is not. Has God delivered David into the hands of Saul? No. But there's Christians today who make just as stupid a statement as that. 
they, they're out there and they say, I see the hand of God in this. And you have the word and you, you know, God does not do that. God, that is not God. And all kinds of ridiculousness that they, uh, they believe and that they think. This is Saul. Saul, all of a sudden now he wants to become godly. Now God has delivered David into my hand. Cause he, he's, uh, inside this, this city. Well, no, David was doing what you were supposed to do, but you didn't do it. He had the entire army. David has 600 men. And David goes and, and does what he's, what Saul should have been doing. I put in your outline, at least I think I did. Anyone can believe God is working for them. Anyone can believe that God is working for them. Anyone, get this down. Anyone can believe that God is working for them. If they want to. You can also believe that He is not. God could be working on your behalf. Well, I don't see God. And other people that God is not working on their behalf. Well, look at what God did for me. If you go off of what you believe, or I'm sorry, what you think, what you feel, what you see, you can be deceived constantly. You gotta know what the Word of God says. This is, this shows me this is, this is God. We're gonna see some more of that later on. But verse 9, when David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the F out here. And David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. In other words, what did he say? Yes. Yes. They will deliver you into their hand. Saul is coming. That's what we know to... What's going on? And David said, I'm sorry, verse, um, verse 13. So David and his men, about 600, see before, if you go into chapter 4, uh, chapter 22, you'll see he had 400. That's how he started off with, but now he's got 600. He arose and departed from Kelah and went wherever they could go. Then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Kelah, so he halted the expedition. He was coming with the, the big army, but then they, they stopped. Now, David has tried to help Saul and Saul has turned on him and tried to kill him. Then David turns and he's going to help Kelah. And what does Kelah do? They turn on him. They're ready to go away and, uh, and turn him over. I put this in your outline for you. The most important trait to possess to get through any betrayal. And I'll just ask you, that, how many people have ever been betrayed in your life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we all have been betrayed, haven't we? Yeah, the best, most important trait to, to possess, to get through a betrayal is patience. That is the most important. Because what will happen is, betrayal wants to aggravate your flesh. Once your flesh is aggravated, it wants to get you to instantly respond. It wants you to say stuff, do stuff, things that are gonna linger for a long period of time. Don't do it. Be patient. Don't feel like I have to do something. Don't, Go reacting. Don't open your mouth. Keep your mouth shut. We've shown you places in the Word of God where people did not get in trouble as much for thinking the thoughts, but they sure did when they said it. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Our flesh wants to return evil for evil. That's your flesh. Have you ever had that people betrayed you? People did something and then said, Oh, I want to see them. I want to do this. I, that's your flesh talking. If you want to know what your flesh sounds like, that's it. 
God will not lead you that way. That is always your flesh speaking when you hear that. So get to know that voice. That's my flesh. I don't listen to my flesh. And you go on to something else. The evidence of a fruitful love walk is returning good for evil. That is the evidence of a fruitful love walk. Returning good for evil. Now, we're going to go and take a side journey here. And I know this is a lot of scripture to read, but you got to, this is important. This is a man of honor. I want you to not only see what he does. And in Samuel, we see what David does. But in the Psalms, we see how David thinks. It is important that you know how a person of honor thinks so that you understand what they do. Psalm 36. Now, I've seen two notes, on a couple of different notes on this. One, that this was written on his way out of Kelah. And another one that it had to do with uh, when he was fleeing Absalom. But either way, it's when he was involved in a betrayal. And this is how he is thinking while he is fleeing whatever betrayal was about to come down for him. Verse 1. An oracle uh, to the chief musician of David, the servant of the Lord, an oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes. Understand this. When you have people that will betray you, when you have people that are evil, when you have people that are of dishonor, there is no fear of God in them. That's why they do the things they do. Then he, for he flatters himself in his own eyes when he finds out his iniquity, when he hates. When he's, he's over there, he's hating people. And he flatters himself. Tells himself how good of a person he is. Yeah, but you're hating people. Yeah, so? The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. He devises wickedness on his bed. In other words, he's thinking bad thoughts when he's awake. He's thinking bad thoughts when he's getting ready to go to sleep. Probably even dreams bad thoughts while he's sleeping. But he devises wickedness on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not abhor evil. God wants us to abhor what is evil. When you see what is evil, you don't draw, you're not drawn to it. You're abhorred by it. Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are a great, great deep, O Lord. You preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wing. Because of what we know about God, we trust Him. Trust is always based on knowledge. You don't trust what you don't know. you got to know some things about it before you go out there and trust. You may look at a bridge. Anybody here afraid of bridges? Anybody here afraid of any? A couple of people afraid of bridges. And uh, if, you're, if, if you have a fear of bridge, bridges, then you tend to be a little bit more leery when you come up upon a bridge. I'm not so sure I want to go. If you want to hear a story of a preacher who is afraid of bridges, heights, uh, Brother Rick Renner has some hysterical stories, and he's a great storyteller on that. But if you ever hear him talk about some of his exploits on bridges, I mean, this man was paralyzed. This is a preacher took the gospel to the Soviet Union countries when the curtain fell down. I mean, this is a man of faith and power, could not stand being on bridges, <laughs> got over the fear. But it's a hysterical story. That I'm not going to try and tell it to you because you hear him tell it. It's far better. But trust is based on knowledge. You have to have some knowledge on a thing. Now, I have no fear of bridges. 
I don't have to test them out. I see a bridge, I'm going. The higher the bridge, the scarier the bridge, the more excited I get. A smile on my face. I can't wait to get on out there in that bridge. You get one of those ones that sways. This is cool. This is this is cool. I've, come on, I'll make it sway a little bit while I'm up there. <laughs> I mean, if you fall, what's the worst thing that can happen? Really? I mean, what is the worst thing that you can have? Meet Jesus sooner. That's all. There's there's just nothing. There's no downside here. Just have some fun. So I go out in those bridges and I just have some fun. Now, I will admit that not everybody likes to go out in the bridges with me. <laughs> when they're like that. But um, I'm pretty sure I could talk Lamar into coming with me. He'd probably be swaying it just as much as I am. <laughs> I used to have a little website I kept, a, kept a hold of. Um, you know, dangerous bridges. Just because I want to watch them. I want to see them. This is, this is cool. I mean, there are some incredible bridges that are out there that... Uh, they are not for the faint of heart. Psalm 62. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From his, from him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. When you get involved in a betrayal, when you get involved in someone that has stabbed you in the back, someone that has hurt you, you want to be moved. Your flesh wants to be moved. Why do I keep doing what is good? Why do I keep holding on to these principles? Why do I act honorably when these people act this way? You want your flesh. It wants to be moved. What he is saying here is, no, I stay tied into my spirit. My spirit doesn't want to get moved. That's your. That's because you have a spirit of honor. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall in a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Watch these people. They bless with their mouth. They say with their mouth, Oh, you're the best. Oh, you're so... And then when they get behind your back, they say nasty stuff. Where do we leave off at? Verse 4. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. You see some of these government folks, you know, emails get to get brought out. And um, and you, you see all the lies that are there. Just lie after lie after lie. In emails to each other, they tell the truth. But to us, you know, they portray lies. If you wonder, how do people get like that? They delight in them. When they speak the lie, they're actually, man, this is cool. I am lying to you and you have no idea. <laughs> and they delight in the lies. This is what the Bible is telling you. This is back in the Old Testament. They delighted in the lies. It's not any different now. They still delight in the lies. We delight in the truth. Where did we... We're still in verse 4? They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expect, expectation is from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My defense, I shall not be moved. There we got that again. He's my defense. Stop looking at the people who betrayed you. They're not your defense. God is. And he says, I will not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength. 
and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Surely, men of low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree, another way of saying men of dishonor and men of honor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether light, lighter than vapor. You see, it doesn't matter what kind of people they are. If they're going to hold to a lie, they are a people of dishonor. Whether they are, just because a person is of, of a low esteem, of a low, lower class of people as people looking, well that's a lower class of, doesn't matter. You can be of a lower class of people by look to other people, by other, you know, how it's judged by other people. Lower caste, upper class. It don't matter. They can still be hung on to the lies. It's, it's the honor that is in you. Or the dishonor that is in you. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. God has spoken once, twice I have heard this. The power belongs to God also to you, O Lord, mercy. For you rendered each one according to his work. Just know that people who have betrayed you, people who have been dishonest, people who are liars, God's, God's going to repay them for what they did. You don't have to. Just relax. Just know this is, this is our God. Psalm 101, a Psalm of David. I will sing of mercy and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing of praises. Kind of sounds like a song we were singing today. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. I shall not cling, it shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. As we are going through this world, there are people that are around us that are people of dishonor. Some of them are going to try and sell you that they are a person of honor. They're going to sell you with some lies. They're going to say some things to you. But that honor if it's there, will come out. That dishonor, if it's there, it will come out. Do not let the things of the people in the world come upon you. Don't look at, don't let how they look at things. Don't look at how they act. Don't look at what they value. Do not let that come near you. And this is what David is telling you. I don't let their thoughts become my thoughts. I keep God's thoughts my thoughts. I keep what is good before me. I don't bring in what is bad. I keep what is good before me. This is what you need to do. This is how we need to operate. This is what David is telling you that he's doing and his thinking. It's important to know how David thinks. Well, in verse verse 9, when David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. And David said, oh, that's busy ephod right now. Oh, Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? When Saul came down, as your servant has heard, and the Lord of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Calah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Calah 
and went wherever they would go. It was told Saul that David had escaped from a colossal. He, he, uh, he stopped the expedition. Now, where he's going to go after he gets through all this, he's going to go into the wilderness. Uh, pull up one of our slides. Pull up our first one, number two. First slide for, for number two. This is the wilderness. What you have here is, you have the general term, the wilderness of Judea. This is the general term. And this is what the wilderness of Judea looks like. There's not swamps. It's not forests. There's not a lot of trees out here. It's a whole lot of rocks. And basically, not many people go there. I mean, would, would you go there? It don't look inviting. There's no beautiful scenery. And so the reason that David is going out into these areas is simply because no one goes there. Now, if you were to look at that, how many of you think that's going to take some work to get around there? You're going up and down, and it's rocks, and uh, it's not pleasant. I don't see a whole lot of water around there, do you? But this is where they're going. But this is not an area of forests. It's an area of rock. Now, David knew this wilderness pretty well. In the years before he became king, he was he was uh, walking around in it. He wandered in it. He passed through these areas as he would be going on some of the trips that he had. The uh, children of Israel, they wandered through wildernesses like this. When you think of them wandering through the wilderness, this is some of the areas that they would, not these particular ones of Judea, but this is what they would have would have looked like. David wrote a lot of his psalms in settings like this. Go on over to our next one. Now, there's a little green spot. What happens is if it rains or rain falls upon there, stuff turns green, then the sun comes out and that green goes away. Fast. So you go out there and you see this green for just a little bit and then it's gone. Can you imagine writing the 23rd Psalm when this is the kind of stuff that you see? Green pops up and then goes away. When he writes about the 23rd Psalm about the green pastures, he's talking about a God who can provide green pastures even though he's many times in the wilderness. We don't have time to get into all those kind of things, but I just wanted you to get an idea of this. John the Baptist came out of these kind of wilderness areas. Jesus, when he went into his the temptation of fasting for 40 days, was in wilderness places like this. Go on over to our next one. This is, uh, which one's this one labeled as? Do you know? Uh, which one? This is Engedi. This is, uh, we can go back to, um, this is, he's gonna end up over here at Engedi. Go over to the next one. There's a little bit of water that's going through there. Here's another spot. This was the wilderness of? Mayon. This is Mayon here. Uh, just rocks. I mean, look at what you have to do to get around these areas. Go over to our, our third, third area that we named. The next one. Is that the last one I only gave you four? I thought I gave you another one of the... My bad. Let's look at verse 16. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods. Now, this wilderness. This is where we're at. And strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord and David stayed in the woods and Jonathan went to his own house. So, 
Jonathan comes up to him, meets him out here where he's, where he's hiding out. And look at what he says to him. Look at the things that he knows. Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. Wow. He knows his father's got the whole army out there looking for him. And even people in the country are, are turning on David. You shall be king over Israel. He's declaring it. Jonathan's the guy who's next in line. But he not only says, you will be king, but he says, I will be next to you. In other words, I'm not a rival. I know what God's will is, and I'm here to fulfill God's will. God's will is that you are the king. I'll be there to help you out. I'm going to be there to uh, help your kingdom get established. Can you imagine that you go from the reign of Saul and his family, supposed to be his family, to the reign of David, and his number one son is right there. Yeah, I'm here helping David. But why aren't you king? No, God didn't call me to be king. God called David to be king. I mean, what a man of honor. Even my father, Saul, knows that. He knows that his father knows this is what's going on. So Jonathan has this final visit with David. This is the last time they will see each other. And they depart. Verse 19, Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in strongholds in the woods in the hill of Hilkilah, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. So now, Israel. Now these are just people from Israel. But David has already fought for them. David has delivered them from Goliath. David has delivered them from other Philistines. He went out there and he said he's, he's slain so many, he's slain his ten thousands. He's going out in other times. Saul put him over, over people. He would go out, he would behave wisely, and they would come back. And he's, uh, he's achieving victories. What is interesting to see is that all this time when David was on Saul's side, every time they go out, they had a victory. They would have another victory. They would have another victory. And then all of a sudden, they're not having victories anymore because David's no longer on the team. And Saul is taking the, the bulk of it and chasing him around. So all of a sudden, the Philistines, who kept losing battle after battle after battle after battle, are now suddenly, hey, we don't have to be afraid anymore. And so they come on over to Kelah to, uh, to raid them. But you see, they were in too much fear. They kept losing battles. But Saul has taken all that away. Can you imagine being in a country that is going in a good direction, in a strong direction, a direction in which the army was getting stronger, the enemies were getting weaker, and then deciding not to do that anymore? Well, that's what happened here. So, the Ziphites, they come on up. Now, it's not all the Ziphites, it's just some of them. All you need is some dishonorable people to make the whole batch look bad. So he tells them, come on down. We're going to deliver him into your in your hands. Now, the only way they can deliver him into their hands is if they pretend to be on David's side. Come on, David, come on over here. We're going to keep you safe over here. And then while they're doing that, you're going to send for Saul. And that's what they're hoping anyway. Verse 21, and Saul said, blessed are you of the Lord. Yeah, that's right. Calling the Lord now. For you have compassion on me. Please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is. Who, ha who has seen him there? For I am told he is very crafty. 
See therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty and I will go with you. And it shall be if he is in the land that I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. See, Saul believes he's the victim. Everybody's picking on me. Even though he's the one doing the picking. Even though he's the one taking the army all around. Verse 24. So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul, but David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon. We showed you one of the pictures of that. In the plain on the south of Jeshimon. When Saul and his men went to seek him, and they told David, therefore he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And then Saul heard that he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste to get away from Saul for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. But a messenger came to Saul saying, Hurry and come for the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines so they came. So they called that place the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and dwelt in the strongholds of En Gedi. So Saul is out there and he's deciding, well, this must be God. God's helping me here. God's helping me there. All of those Philistines, they got in the way again. They got in the way again. Mm-mm-mm. Psalm 54. A contemplation of David when the Ziphites went and said to Saul, is David not hiding, him, hiding with us? Save me, O God by your name and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth for strangers have risen up against me and oppressors have sought after my life. They have not set God before them. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off in your truth. I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of trouble and my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. He continually has this enemy that comes against him. And for the rest of the days of Saul, you will see this. There's a couple of reprieves. Paul decide, or Saul decides to repent and he comes back. But all the rest of the time, he's constantly facing this, constantly having to come against this. And if you've been here on the Wednesday night series, when we've been, last couple of weeks, we've been talking about fervent prayer and the difference between fervent prayer and the prayer of faith. And I still got some questions on this. We're still not completely clear on this. So we'll probably spend a little bit more time the next time we get together on this to, to try and help out. But understand, in the book of James, chapter 1, he talks about the prayer of faith. And he talks about faith and not wavering. And in chapter 5, he talks about fervent prayer. Fervent prayer is not the prayer of faith. And the prayer of faith is not fervent prayer. You cannot pray the prayer of faith fervently. Nor can you pray the prayer of fervency in faith. They do not mix. You see, when you are going after something in the prayer of fervency, there is a battle that is on. And you are constantly in there facing the foe that is against what God has said He wants to do. And we saw that in the example of Elijah. And if you were here on Wednesday, if not, you can go up online and and listen to it there. But you'll see some other examples where we saw this fervency. But if you're going after the promises of God, God has said, I will heal you. God has said, I will provide for you. God has said these things. That's not a prayer of fervency. That's a prayer of faith. There's difference in that. I just say that to here in this one. David has to fervently battle the forces of darkness that are coming against him. And this is what he does. You will see him make some faith statements along the way. But constantly he's coming against this uh, force of darkness that's trying to eliminate him. Now, in 
Verse 1, Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines, it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of Engadi. Then the Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel. How many does David have? 600. 3,000 men coming against him. Chosen men. How many does David have again? Are any of them chosen? No. Now eventually they become it. David's uh, 300 men come out of that 600. David's 30 come out of that, that, and David's three come out of that. And those are some, those are the inspiration, as we said before, the inspiration behind the movie Rambo. That's right. Anybody ever watch Rambo? Alright. This is the inspiration of movies like that. That these, these guys did such incredible feats. If you ever want some uh, really fun reading, how many have never read the, the exploits of the 300? David's 300 men. Anybody never read it? Oh, boy, I tell you, I, I, we are, didn't already have things going. I just break off and just start talking to you about, about some of that. Some of these things were just, talk about the anointing of God on people for warfare. 300 men who just, the, the exploits was just phenomenal. And then there were 30 that came out and were heads and uh, above that. And then three who just were astounding in what they could do. And understand these were people that came from people no one wanted. The people who were cast off from societies. The people said there was no value there at all. But David saw the honor that was in them and brought it out. But he's got 3,000 choice men going up against his 600. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave and Saul went in to attend to his needs. Now there's some neat stuff inside here. I want you all to really pay attention. Where there was a cave and Saul went in to attend to his needs. Anybody know what that means? Max, what do you think that means? He went potty. That's just, that's what he's saying. So he went in to attend to his needs. You see, you get the picture here. What's, what's going on? Um, David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. So all the caves in the world, and you can saw the, the rocks and stuff, all the caves that are around there, Saul happens to pick the one that David and his men are in. And Saul picks that cave, and so he comes on in there, and all there is is Saul. Because there's no bodyguards going in the cave. Who's in the cave? Nobody's in the cave. And so they stand guard outside the cave. Saul just says, I don't want you in the bathroom with me. I'm a king. I can go to the bathroom by myself. So he goes in there. Verse 4. Then the men of David said to him. Now, these are the people. These are his buddies. These are the people that are close by. These are the, remember the, the dregs of society. Nobody wants them. David's building them up, getting them to become somebody. So they're sitting there around there and they have some words for, for David. How many think they're going to be good words? This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand and that you may do to him as seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now they remembered what had gone on. I'm sure they're encouraging him and they do this later on too. Take him out! Take him out. But they refer to a word of the Lord that apparently was given to David. We don't have any record of it. But they did. Apparently a word of the Lord came to David. One of the prophets had a word and they said to David, David, 
Thus says the Lord, I will deliver your enemy into your hand. You do as seems good to you. That's what the word of the Lord is. Now these men heard it. They saw Saul come into the cave. Here's David. This is that word that we got. God has delivered him into your hand. You can do what seems good to you. Kill him. Run him through. Get rid of that guy. Isn't that what the, probably what they're encouraging him to do? And so David says, all right, y'all wait here. I'll be back. And so he goes up and I don't know how you do this, but he's in there doing whatever. And David sneaks up to him. And here's the robe. I don't know if he laid his robe upside. If the robe is still in his body, he may have just laid it aside, made it a little bit easier. He goes on over to the robe. I've never gone to the bathroom with my robe on. I don't have a robe. But if I had a kingly robe, I imagine I would take it off. And so maybe he just goes over to wherever it is and he cuts off a little piece of it. It can be pretty distinct that this is it. And plus you can see there's a cutout on that one. You ever see a magician? You ever see a magician? They do the, the card tricks and they rip a piece of the card off so that you know this is the card. That's what he's doing. He's ripping off a piece so that you know I was right by your robe. Not somebody else's. You see, David is told, do what seems good to you. Now what the Lord, this is a test. David, let's see what you're made of. I'm going to put Saul into your hands. I'm not going to tell you what you should do. I want your inner character to tell you what you should do. And whatever seems good to you to do, you do it. You do it. Now, Mia, if you were in the cave, what would you want to do? Come on, be honest. This person's been picking on you in school, making life terrible. And it picks on your dog, called your dog a name. Call your beloved dog a name. Kicked your dog. What do, you, what do you want to do to that person? She wants to kill him. <laughs> yes, indeed. That's Mia. I'm with you, Mia. I understand. <laughs> Came after David. Came after the people that David loved. David had to disrupt his family. And move them around. David has an agreement when he killed Goliath. We're tax free. Now we can't even stay at home. You see, David is being tested here. David, let's see what seems good to you. You see, here's the thing that we, we have. We bought this fr from the, the ark when we were at it. And if you don't know what this is, this is a cubit. Now, there's some difference in opinion on what a cubit is. Some people see it as a little bit shorter than this, and some people see it as a little bit longer. But they, they decided when they made the ark that they were going to take this size. They took an average uh, size in there, and uh, they, they made it this way. So this is a cubit. So when they took all those things, you'll make this this many cubits, and this is, this is what they used when they built the ark, the little display that you see down there. This is a cubit. But we're going to use this. This is God's measuring rod. And this is God to say, this is what I say that you should do. This is what I call good behavior. This is what I call honor. 
This is what I call thinking on good things. This is what I call right living. And we have in the Word of God, He tells us all these different things. This is His measuring rod. And this is what we are supposed to do to measure it by. But there's a whole lot of Christians out there and they say, I don't like that measuring rod. I'm going to use this one. <laughs> that one's too hard to live up to. I'm going to use, I can do this. So instead of, you know, don't gossip at all. Well, I'm just going to gossip about some people because they deserve it. Because they're evil people. So I'm just going to gossip about them. Right? We can go on and pick on some stuff, but we don't have to, we don't always have to do it. We have to talk about stealing the cookies in the cookie jar, do we? Well, I'm just going to take one cookie. I know mom said don't take any cookies, but I, I can't measure up to that. You see, we change it. People all the time, they change what the Word of God says. Has God really said? Has God really said? And we change the measuring rod. You see, God, I'm still measuring my actions. God says, no, you're not. This is the measuring rod. And so he's, he's basically saying, David, which one are you going to use? Which one are you going to use? Are you going to use my measuring rod? Are you going to use the things that your friends are telling you you ought to do? Which one are you going to measure this by? And so David decided just to just to cut off corner of the robe. Verse 5, Now it happened afterwards that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. I don't know. Being, let me ask you. If that person kicked your dog, called your dog a name, picked on you, and you cut off part of the robe, would you be feeling bad about that? Or would you be saying, should have kicked him? Should have kicked him. <laughs> I'd be saying some of them more. He's feeling bad because he cut the robe off the king's garment. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. Well, God's done worse than this to him already. So David restrained his servant with these words, and they did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. Now, I put this uh, note in your outline for you. Good friends can give bad advice. Just understand, good friends can give bad advice. And God will put you in situations to see if you go the way of honor or the way of dishonor. Just as David is in. Quick decisions often have lifelong payments. Quick decisions often have lifelong payments. Basically, this is your opportunity. you got to decide now. When you hear that going on, people will put pressure on you to decide now because they want you to make a wrong decision because they know you'll be paying for this for a long time. Now, David's attitude towards Saul is not shaped by Saul's attitude towards him. That's a hard thing to do. How many times is our attitude towards the people we work with to the relatives that we're related to, how many times is it shaped by their attitude toward us? 
But David didn't let that happen. It wasn't shaped by Saul's attitude, but by godly character. That's where he decided to stay. Verse 8. David also arose afterward, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king! And when Saul looked back behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. Now, if you're his friends, if you are David's friends, and David is hiding from Saul, how many men does Saul have? 3,000. How many men does David have? And all of a sudden, you are in amongst the 600 men. And David says, Yo, king! What are you thinking? David, shh! We don't want him to know that we're here. We're trying to get away from the the king and his 3,000 men. Be quiet. Don't you know that they're telling him that? Yo, king! Over here! We're giving away the location. I don't know about you, but if I was David, I don't think I'd be trusting Saul. He'd be talking to me, sending people around around the, behind me. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm? See, people were telling him this. People were saying... See, that when the devil wants to get you to go in the wrong direction, he sends people into your life to tell you it's a good one. And those people will pass themselves off as godly. You know that God really wants you to do this. God really wants you to have the cookies. God desires you to have every good and perfect thing. (laughs) And these friends will come around and they'll tell you these kind of things working on that character on the inside of you. Who are you? Look, this day your eyes have seen as the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave and someone urged me to kill you. (laughs) Someone, see, someone was there. Someone in the cave. We didn't hear it, but someone in the cave said, David, kill him. Kill him. We'll get one episode that somebody else says, Look, if you don't want to do it, I'll do it. And it won't take me two strikes. I'll get it done in one. Hmm. Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you, but my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see... Yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe, I did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand that I have not sinned against you. Yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me and let the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked. But my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog, a flea? Therefore let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. David said, "You, God delivered me, you into my hand. And Saul couldn't deny it. Man, I picked of all the caves, I picked the one David's in. And he had opportunity to cut off the corner of my robe. He surely could have cut off a lot more than that. You see, what you have to do you got to build up what's on the inside of you. 
So that when you get in those situations, those test situations like David is in in this cave, he's in a test situation. God says, I want to see what you're made of. I want to see if you have the opportunity to go down a dark way like Saul had an opportunity. He was a person of honor, but he had an opportunity to go down a dark way and he took it. So, David, when you have an opportunity to go down a dark way, will you take it or will you stay the way you're supposed to? He's testing them. I want to see because I don't need another Saul. I need somebody different. I need somebody who's going to stand up and do the right thing. That's what I need. David, are you that man? I want to see. I'm not telling you what to do here. Most times we like people that just tell me what to do. God, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. God says, I'm not telling you what to do. What's on the inside of you ought to tell you. Now let me see what's on the inside. And David cuts off the robe and then goes out and stands, King, here I am. Because he trusts in his God. And he's trying to get Israel to be restored. He can just leave and be fine. No, no, no. We got to get this thing fixed because Saul's got to go out there and fight Philistines and stop fighting me. He's got to protect the people instead of keep coming after me. We need to fix this. Why do you listen to those who bear witness against the testimony of my actions? Don't be, don't be doing that. Don't be listening to those things. You need to go, go past that. Now I want to show you something. I asked, uh, uh, we have a couple more slides here for you. And I meant to bring these here with me and I totally forgot it and left it. But if you can bring up our slide number six, I want to show you something in here that this is, this is what happened. Isn't that good looking guy? It's not me though. That's how I brought that over because for years I have run in a couple of these Saucony tank tops in the summer. And, um, I, and I like them because they have color. I have one. I mean, it's a bright green color. I just, it's not overly bright. It's not overly yellow. It's just fantastic the way that it is. I love the color. It's actually my favorite one to run in. It's, the, it's that color right there. Uh, it's so old that it's not even on their site anymore. So I had to get one to look like it. But I just love the way it is. It's just mixed. It has some mesh in there. Cools you off. Cause you got to wear these things in the, in the hot. I also have one. It's a nice bright blue. It's not too bright. It's not dull. It's a nice bright blue. I like it. I love these things. And I've been running on them for years. But then last year, I pushed the envelope. And I decided I'm going for more miles. And I started running more and more miles every day. In fact, I was running a half marathon every single day. Every day I was running. I go out and I run just about a half marathon. And then the next day I get out there and do it again. Now, as I'm building up to that, and as I'm getting there, I came upon a problem in that the stuff that I have worn all this time was suddenly tearing my skin apart. I mean, to the point you come out bloody at times. And uh, sometimes before I build it up oh, all that much, I'd get in the shower. Oh, man, did that hurt. I no longer wanted to take a shower after a nice hot run because it hurt. It was painful. And I couldn't understand what's going on. Why are these clothes tearing me up so much and I found out that these things are good when you're only running five, six, seven, eight miles a day but you start pushing it beyond that and they couldn't handle it and they were ripping my skin apart now my my, uh, my uh, running buddy John when we run in the summer 
and we run together, John has his shirt off for this very reason because he sweats a lot more than I do. And all the clothing he was wearing just tore him apart. And so he just takes them off. Now, he's a much better looking man than I am. And he probably looks better running without a shirt on. I've never liked to run without a shirt on. I always have a shirt on. I just, it's just what I like to do. So I want some kind of a shirt on. But I was out there running with him a couple of times in these things. And I said, I cannot stand this anymore. And I just took it off. And so we're both running there, no shirt on. I, I, I just don't like it. I said, I gotta find something to, that'll, that'll work for that. And so now y'all know I love color. I love colors. I love color. But I found a shirt that would work. And I wanted to bring that in, in with me. And I didn't bring it. But, uh, pull, pull up the next, next shot. This is a shirt that finally worked. What is that shirt missing? Color. Yeah. Color. That is the most bland shirt I've got. I mean, I, you couldn't be much more bland than that unless it was all just white. And it's, it's boring shirt. Boring shirt. But I could wear that and not get tore up. Because they made it out of some, some, uh, some really nice stuff. And so I was wearing the boring shirt for a long time. And then they had, they had a second one. They didn't make many of them. They made a second one. And so the second one, all it was was navy blue. I mean, it's better, but it's not, it's not bright. And so, um, you know, navy blue is one thing, but it's, it's, it's all right. But then, because last year, last year, certain races were canceled. And this company, I really love this company. This company decided to release all the shirts that they had for a particular race to everyone. You didn't have to go up there and be at the race. And so I was able to get from them what is now my absolute favorite shirt to wear when I go out running. You see, because it has color. And I can wear this for as many miles and it will not tear up my skin. I love this shirt. The only thing I don't like about it is I cannot wear it every day. But see, it's got nice little mesh in the back, and it, oh, they just did a nice job with this. But I can wear that, and it won't rip, rip up things. You see, what I had to do is the stuff I was wearing before; it would handle the the kind of running I was doing. But when I started to, to push the envelope and go further, I needed something that would handle it. Folks, you are going to be moving into an area of your Christian walk in which the honor that you right now walk in has handled so far. But you are going to be called on to a greater level of honor. Because that greater level of honor is what is going to support what God has for you. If you try and do what God has in store for you at the level of honor you have right now, you will get tore up. You've got to increase the honor that you walk in. And last week we talked about how you either a person of honor moving in a direction of becoming a person of more honor or you're a person who's moving in a direction of dishonor. Which one is it? We're supposed to be people of honor, which means we go by God's measuring stick and not my own. God, you called this sin, so it's sin. I'm not going to do that. The world says it's not sin. But you said it's sin. In fact, Jesus even pushed that envelope even more. He said, you say it's, it's wrong to murder. I tell you, if you think hateful thoughts, if you think evil thoughts, in my book, you've murdered. 
That's a longer stick, isn't it? You have a level of honor that you have been in, probably have been walking in, but you need to increase it. David needs to increase the level of honor that he is walking in because what God has in store for him will need it. It will require it. Don't measure how much honor you walk in compared to someone else, compared to other Christians, compared to other people in your family, in your work. How much honor does God need me to have? Because that honor is what carries you through. We've told you before. It is the grace of God. It is the mercy of God. It is the favor of God that draws blessings to us. But it is honor that reels them in. Because we saw examples in the Word of God, and we've looked at a couple, to which the blessings of God were attracted to them because of how they operated. But then they didn't walk in honor, and it drove them away. Jeroboam was one. Saul is one. Those blessings were drawn to him. But then, because of the dishonor he walked in, it repelled them and it pushed them away. The honor that God would be having you walk in is so key for where he wants to take you. But will you answer the call and will you develop that honor? If you're going to develop that honor, what you have to do is understand what the Word says, not what people have said about the Word. I've got to know what does the Word of God say. It's imperative that I know. Because if I don't know what the Word of God says, my measuring stick will not be right. You see, some people want to go in the way of uh, being super religious. And they take what God said like the Pharisees and they go like this. And they make it something that you can't even live up to. That you can't even do. And it really has no benefit for you. And it's also generally something they don't do themselves. But God says, no, I'm telling you to do what I already do. I do it. This is how I operate. This is how I function. And I'm asking you to do the same thing. When we look, read his word, everything that God asks us to do are things that God is already doing. How he asks us to love is exactly how he loves. How he asks us to forgive is exactly how he forgives. You see, people sometimes make a stick like this and try and tell you you haven't forgiven unless you blank. But God doesn't do that. Does God restore anybody to fellowship who hasn't asked for forgiveness? Doesn't the Word of God say that we need to repent? Do we need to ask for forgiveness? Basically, just says repent. And yet, you have thought, well, if I don't forgive them, I'm not doing what the Word of God said. And yet, God said, I never said to forgive them when they haven't asked you. He does say, keep your mentality without bitterness and don't you harbor anger at them because then when they come to you and they say Steve will you forgive me I did this I'll say absolutely but you see if I go the wrong direction when they come to me and they say will you forgive me absolutely not you hurt me but God's not going to ask you to do something he hasn't done that's why we spend so much time on a lot of these principles because I want you to see this is the measuring stick This is what you do. Not here. And not here. It's here. Measure yourself by what God says. Not by what religion says. Not by these other things. Because when you do what God says, 
then you will walk in the honor he needs you to walk in. And when God gives you a command, he says, David, I'm going to put your enemy in your hands and I want you to do whatever seems good to you. Wow. Can you imagine having God trust you that much to put you in that test? Let's see what you're made of. And he came out good. He came out real good. In fact, he was even given another opportunity later on. Psalm 27 verse 2 says, Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. Anybody ever have people bear false witness against you? So did David. He says, Don't deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. David could have become what other people said he was. He could have. He could have become just done what other people said. The only thing that will keep you from becoming what others falsely testify about you is your character or the honor you choose to live by. That's it. Verse 16. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul and Saul said, Is this, is this your voice, my son, David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept and he said, David, you are more righteous than I for you have rewarded me with good whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. See, now you see the hand of God was not where I thought it was. It was against me. For if, I find, if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And I know indeed that you shall surely be king, and that the king of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear now to me, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. It seems like Saul came to his senses, but he's going to leave this pretty soon. He sees that God has delivered him into his hand. But down the road, he's going to change his mind on this. I wrote some of these things in your outline here for you. People of honor live to the honor inside of them. That honor has to get built up. You've got to build that up because that honor that's inside of you needs to increase so that you can live up to more. People of dishonor change according to how they feel or what they see. And this is Saul. Right now he's feeling pretty good about going this direction, but pretty soon he's going to feel pretty good about coming against David again. The greater the honor in you that you live by, the more dishonor around you, you will live above. The greater honor in you that you live by the more dishonor around you you will live above I gave you four things here you can write out as much of this as you want to there are four things you need to do to increase your honor four things that will get you to increase the honor from where you're at right now no matter where you are in honor you can increase it here are the four things first thing feed on the word of God don't just don't just read it reading is good but feed on the Word of God. Feed on it. Get in there and just... I need to, I need to understand what is being said here. I need to, need to get hold. Feed on the Word of God. Secondly, discover and live up the greater honor. The more that you feed on the Word of God, God is going to show you the honor inside of people that are in the Word. Oh, I see that. I never saw that as an honor story before, but I see the honor inside this person. And you will discover and live up to a greater honor. Here's the next one. Associate with people of honor. 
associate with people of honor. You do not always have to have first-hand accounts with people of honor to, to glean from them. You can, you can watch a preacher on, on YouTube and glean from the honor that they walk in. But make sure that you associate with people of honor. Here's the last one. <clears throat> Resist the dishonor around you. Don't adapt it. Don't become it. Resist the dishonor around you. It's going to try and pull you in. It's going to try and pull you into that dishonor. It wants to get you going in the wrong direction. It doesn't want you pursuing more honor. It wants you to turn around and come towards the dark side, as they say. But don't. Don't stay that way. There's going to be a whole lot of pressure. There's going to be a whole lot of things coming against you to try and get you to turn, try and get you to adopt that dishonor. But don't do it. Don't do it. Live in an honorable way. And if you've got a lot of people around you and they keep trying to pull you into dishonor, you need to put some distance between you and them. Would you all stand up with me? Ushers, if you bring our communion elements up. When Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, the people that were around him there at the table, you had the Judases. He was a person of dishonor, and he had gone in the great direction of dishonor. And Jesus did not pursue that, nor did he come against it and become dishonorable himself. When he was in the garden, the people that were around him They didn't have the honor that was needed to even stay awake in prayer. They fell asleep. Jesus said, pray with me. But they couldn't even do that. Jesus was taken in as a prisoner. And every single person around him, those people passing judgment on him, did not walk according to honor. Those people who beat him did not walk according to honor. They were moved by anger. They were moved by feelings. They were moved by bitterness. They were moved by all sorts of negative things. And Jesus stayed true to the honor that was in him. And he kept himself focused on what God wanted him to do, to be the sacrifice for us. Everything around him was pushing him into a direction of dishonor. And he didn't take it. He was our example. Even his closest friends seemed to abandon him. But he did not veer off no matter what it is that we come against the honor that God can put on the inside of us can carry us over but you've got to feed it you've got to feed it now when you don't need it you've got to build it up because you don't know when the man will come in the cave you don't know when Goliath will show up on the field of battle You don't know when people around you are saying, kill him, kill him. You don't know when these things will come up. But as you build up that honor that's on the inside of you, that honor will steer you in a direction. Because it's godly honor. And it will show you that's where God is. That's what God wants you to do. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread before supper and he broke it 
said, this represents my body which is broken for you. Jesus' honor took him to a place where his body was, was beaten beyond recognition, they said. But he was beaten for us so that sickness and disease would have no place in us. So we eat together, let us remember what Jesus did. After supper, he took the cup. This represents the blood of the new covenant. Old covenant, had to keep sacrificing sheep and bulls and goats and doves. Every time we needed to have a sacrifice, we had to kill something else. But Jesus said, not anymore. My blood will cover. My blood will cleanse. My blood will redeem. Let's remember the work of Jesus on the cross that we do not have to add to it. We just need to receive what he did. Let's drink together. Glory to God. Father, I thank you for the honor that you have placed on the inside of us. You have given us a spirit of honor. And we are drawn to it. The enemy wants us to be repelled by it and to go in a bad direction, to go in the way of dishonor. Because when we go in the way of dishonor, what is right seems wrong, and what is wrong seems right. When we go the way of honor, what is right will be very clear. And what is wrong will be very, very clear. The world is mistaken on what is right, what is wrong, what is this, what is that because of the dishonor that they have allowed to take over their life. But as your honor continues in us, grows, we become more clear on the truth. And I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Janelle, I put in a prayer request about this, the school board. They're considering the critical race theory uh, up there. I've seen aspects of this. I'm appalled at some of the things that I have seen in it, but I have not seen the entire package just yet. A um, little bit I've seen has just called me to be appalled at it. So you say she's asking for us to stand in prayer. So that's a perfect type of a prayer. That's a prayer where you're coming against forces that are, are there to deceive and try and hide behind a certain cause. And that's not their cause at all. Their cause is deception and dishonor. So not only pray for the, the school, that's Satterton, I believe it is, um, but school boards around where you are, be praying for these things. Some of the things they want to do in, in uh, different types of education there are uh, appalling what they want to teach your kids. And I know not all the teachers go along with that, but we've got to be in, in prayer for the school boards and the pe- people around you. So as you have your, your times of prayer, have that fervent prayer. Father God, I know this is not your will. And expose the darkness that is in there. Pray to expose them. Let's just pray together. Father, we pray for all of our school districts, places where our kids are at, kids that we know, that the enemy is trying to bring in things that are of his darkness, but passing off as light. Father, I thank you that you will expose it for what it is. And that even some here and other places will be risen up to go into some of these meetings where they discuss this 
and to expose the darkness that's on the, on the inside. We stand against the powers of the enemy. Satan, in the name of Jesus, your darkness will not be portrayed as light and will not be accepted as light, but will be seen for the darkness that it is. What you desire to do in the secret places will be brought out into the open. Father, I thank you for the work that you're doing to bring your light onto these situations. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, glory to God. Next.